Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask Mapped episode 121. Welcome, welcome, everyone. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. Let me look at the camera over here. Hello there. Um, I hope you are all having a wonderful Wednesday. I am with two of the amazing uh, Mapped advisors, soon to be uh, MSHQ advisors, as we kind of do some shuffling, some rebranding, some just figuring it out. Uh, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Favorite part of the week. Yes. Answering questions. I love it. I love it. Um, and Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at all of TMD. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am wonderful. Um, right. So we have two former directors of admissions in the house and then lonely old me here hanging oh, out. Wow. Uh, I'll do my best to hang with the experts today. <laughs> uh, so if you are new here, where did my other <laughs> it's Instagram's over here watching nothing? Where did my other uh, hold on one second? I, I lost a um, I lost a window. Where did it go? Oh, I know what happened. Hold on. Sorry, IG Live. There we go. Now we're back. All right. Uh, if you are new here, we take your questions directly from our YouTube channel, typically. So go over to askmapped.tv. Uh, no, mapped.tv, not askmapped. <laughs> mapped.tv, M-A-P-P-D.tv. Go ask your questions over there, and we uh, will answer them here. So that's what we'll do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, let's rock and roll. I think we got some good ones to start already. Awesome. Uh, JB asks, uh, hello, my half, half length diagnostic was a 489. One month later and a hundred hours of prep, my full length was a 497. Should I be concerned about such a low score after this much prep? I have five months left to prep. 489 to a 497 is a pretty big improvement. Yeah, That's awesome. I agree. I yeah. agree. What do you think, Scott? Keep going. Lots uh, of time. You, good trajectory. And uh, I would say, you know, you got five months left. Uh, keep keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Keep it rocking. Good Absolutely. job. Absolutely. All right. Keep rolling. Keep on rocking. Keep on rolling. All right. So uh, Cameron asks, is it better to include all updates in an update letter or tailor to the school's mission? I have new pubs, posters, certifications, coursework, and volunteering experiences, but I'm worried about the length. Uh, Courtney, is less more here? Yes. <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say gear it, be succinct, give, you know, pertinent information. If it's just a continuation of experience hours for things that we already kind of know about or you projected into the future, we don't really need that information. It's not any 
really new evidence that that would carry enough weight. And so um, be thoughtful in, in what you provide there and, and be succinct if you can. Yeah. TLDR, these people are busy, thousands and thousands of applications. They do not have time to read every last word. Well, and, and I would say also double check that the med school that you're wanting to follow up with actually does accept updated yeah. letters because some schools do not. They explicitly state that they will not look at it. They don't want them. They're not going in your file. And so look at the websites or call the admissions office before you just start blanket sending. Um, follow, follow instructions. If they're, oh. if it's out there, Follow the instructions. Yeah. It's such an easy, like, this person doesn't know how to read. Let's mark them off the list. Yeah. Don't be that person. Alex asks, I re recently received my first interview invite. Congrats. When it comes to answering interview questions, how long should the average response be? I want to make sure my answers are not too long or too short. The Goldilocks paradox, so I like to call it, of the interview <laughs> of the interview process. Uh, Scott, is there a too long answer or a too short answer or only an answer that is boring or doesn't answer the question? Yeah, I think the key here is answering the question, Alex. Uh, different questions, depending on how detailed the question is, if the, de if the question has multiple parts to it, uh, you know, it, it could vary in terms of what the length of that might be. I think you have to gauge it. You have to answer the question and, uh, and you have to not ramble on and on. And that's a very subjective thing uh, in, in terms of it, it is possible to be too short and, and not give, you know, not expand enough on, on what you're talking about to help the interviewer understand what you're saying. Uh, it's also possible to, to be too long and to go on and on. And so I think that's the value in practicing uh, with, uh, with, you know, people that can help you uh, know whether it's too long or too short or whatever uh, in that regard, whether that's uh, at your uh, institution, whether it's your pre-med advisor or whoever you can, you know, get to do that. We, of course, do that here at MAP, but um, if you don't want to, you know, or can't use MAP, then get friends to help you and, and give their input or uh, mentors or anyone that, is willing to help you out with that. Yeah. I, I've found lately uh, in Application Academy, we're doing lots and lots of mock mm -hmm. interviews at this point. And whenever I finish a, a question, the student finishes answering the question. The first question I ask is, how do you think it went? And almost always lately, they're like, it was too long. It was too short. I'm like, why are you worried about that? Like, mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. not worry about that. Let's focus on the content of the yes. question or content of the answer rather. Mm -hmm. Because what I have found is that students are so in their head of like, I'm going too long, I'm going too long, I'm going too long, or that wasn't long enough, I, I need to ramble on some more. Like that's distracting them from answering the question appropriately and conversationally and, and just naturally. They're so, they're so worked up about, uh, is, am, I, am I going too long? And they start repeating themselves and it goes longer because of that. And then they get in their head of like, oh, I just repeated myself and now I'm going longer. I need to wrap up. And, and it's just like, just talk, just, just talk with me and, and mm -hmm. don't, don't be in your head about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. It's easy for me to say at this point. But. <laughs> right. 
Well, and there's there's ways you can kind of finesse your way out of it, right? If if you feel like you're starting to ramble and you have a lot of thoughts still left, you can kind of end it by, you know, I could I could talk on this for a long time and just offer an ending to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and see if they want to move on. If they want to probe deeper, then they'll ask you follow up questions for it. But it at least puts in a break where you acknowledge that you have more information to share. You understand if you feel like you're going on longer and if you need to move on. So social awareness, mm-hmm. um, you can definitely offer up something like that. You know, I could, I could talk point. about this for the full hour. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and most of the time interviews are fairly short. If it's a traditional, it's probably between 20 and 40 minutes. So how much can they really ask you during that period? If it's rapid fire, 10 questions. If it's yeah. not, three or four. So if you take up 15 minutes on your response, know that your interview ends in, in 30 and you know, so that's the point of reference. I'll put one caveat on that. I've had students purposefully withhold information that helps answer the question because they assumed that the interviewer would ask follow-up questions. I'm like, no, like, Answer the question to the best of your ability. And if they ask follow-up questions, great if they want to dig deeper. But don't withhold stuff mm-hmm. that you know is going to help you answer the question just for that forced conversational uh, flow that you're looking for. Yeah. I think people start to ramble if they're worried if they didn't go in depth enough or they want to fill time. Um and not leave a lot of downtime. So don't do that. It's fine. Yeah, It's okay. Kirk asks, what are the biggest factors I should focus on when taking a gap year? I just recorded a, an episode yesterday of the old pre-meds podcast at episode 312 or 14 or something, one that's coming out today or next week. Um, the, the question was, are there more non-traditional students now? And so I had to go back and try to find some data. And actually, uh, the earliest data that I can find was 2014 data from the AAMC's MSQ, their matriculating student questionnaire. And at that time, the majority of students um, took uh, less than one year between undergrad and medical school. And now it's it's flipped. There's been like a 10-point swing between those those numbers, so uh, there are there are more people now. The question, uh, the the interpretation that pre meds typically make is, oh, that means taking a gap is good. It's good, right. is good. But that's that's not the only interpretation, or that's not the interpretation. Courtney, when you're looking at a student's application, evaluating it, going, okay, I so see you graduated a year or two years ago, whatever. What is the, the kind of the questions that you're asking in terms of what they've been doing to determine whether or not that was a good use of time, if that is a question? Yeah, I think, you know, we always want to make sure that somebody is academically ready. And so the more time that goes in between you carrying a full course load and when you would potentially start medical school, we're going to kind of weigh that, especially if, you know, you tended to kind of dip and dive with your academics and things like that. But this is a very hard question, like most of them that we get on here. This is a very hard question to answer when we don't know 
the other information in regards to um, things that we would look at in your application. So maybe for you, it would be focusing on, you know, kind of adding some depth to your shadowing or, you know, having some clinical experience. Maybe it's studying more for the MCAT and really hunkering down and having a part-time clinical job doing that. Maybe it's traveling and spending some time and taking a break for your mental health before you start med school. You didn't really, you know, you're prepped. You just need a breather before starting. So without the extra information, it's kind of hard to tell you what to focus on specifically. But just know the longer you go out of school, outside of science and full course loads, the more it puts into question about you being able to get kind of back on the horse and, and start at the level that you would need to when, when you start your medical education. Yeah. And, and just to make clear, right, these are not assumptions that you're making and not biases that you have. This is based on seeing other students in similar situations come in like myself who took three years off between undergrad and medical school and didn't take any classes. And I was like a deer in headlights going, Oh, like, I kind of forgot how to be a student here, right? You, you have you have seen maybe anecdotally students going through your program who have taken time off, who have struggled, and are like, okay, this is this is uh, something maybe we should look at in terms of other students in the future to make sure they're ready academically. Sure, I mean we we never want to start somebody where we had information that could lead us to believe that maybe they would struggle and they weren't really prepared and put them in that kind of debt um, and, and start them if they're, if they're not prepared. Yeah. However, I do want to add in, you know, cause sometimes it takes people a couple of years, a couple of cycles to get in. Um, and so their coursework kind of, you know, there's years that, that happen kind of forced gap years in that situation. And there's people that are career changers. It's not always a negative thing. Um, I've seen so many people that have had a couple of years that come back gritty and mature, and they're really sure that this is their path. They hunker down when their struggles just because, you know, they've had just a little bit more life experience. So it's not always a negative. It's not always going to be a rule out factor. Um, it's just taking in all of the information together to kind of paint the picture of where you're at as a student coming in um, for our cohort at that point. And let, yep. me, let me just uh, add to that, that I, I think one of the keys for uh, a gap year experience, as it is, as, as we talk about all the time, as it is for everything else, really, is the importance of reflection. And as you are going through the gap year experience, whatever you're doing, uh, reflect on what you're doing. What is the value of what you're doing? Uh, produce meaning out of that so that you can um, uh, tell the admissions committee about not I just did X, Y, and Z, but what was the value of doing X, Y, and Z to me? Why was it important? What did I get out of doing X, Y, and Z over the course of these this gap year or these gap years and, and, and be able to really both in writing and verbally talk about those things. That's what, in my view, differentiates somebody who's just sort of doing stuff uh, as opposed to somebody who's really getting, getting some, some good value out of what, what it is they're doing. Yeah. So, so Scott, I think there was a, a very wise man many, many years ago who said it's, it's not the what it's the, so what, 
that's kind yes. of what you're getting at. Yes, that's correct. That wise man is, I mean, he's awesome. <laughs> yes, I've, I've heard, I've heard. Um, so there you go, Kirk. Bernadette. I always, I always think of the Big Bang Theory when I, when I see Bernadette. Yeah. Is one W on my transcript going to affect me? Depends on what course it's in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Grand scheme of things, no. No. If it's one of your prereqs that you actually need a grade of C or higher on, then yes. If it is not, most likely no. Yeah. Unless it's in like a post-bac or master's. (laughs) Um, Mm Mm-hmm maybe then it holds a bit more weight because at that point you're kind of wanting those things to be a, a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but most likely no. Yeah. Just full transparency. And, and Courtney, you, you very much are, are a, a fan of saying like, what is it in context to everything else, mm-hmm. right? If this is a 4.0 student with a W on biochem randomly in there and with no other issues, and then an A when she retook it, um, then it's like, okay, that's weird, but everything else looks great. So uh, obviously weirdness happens, um, and I'll, I'll ask her about it. Um, yeah. But it, but it, it doesn't uh, – that one thing alone typically, it's it's when in context of like – lower grades and some shadiness around other withdrawals potentially or, or poorer grades. Um, then it's like, okay, what's going on here? Big picture wise. Yeah. This is an isolated incident. As long as it's not for something that you need a grade in should be, yeah. should be fine. Yep. yep. Barkley, how do medical schools view if I failed the same class more than once? All right. So here we go. Similar question to Bernadette. Uh, I got a W, let's say, in in or, o, o, OCHEM, Orgo. Uh, or I was going to say OrgoCHEM. I'm like, we can't mix those. It's, it's one or the other. Whenever I travel, I don't know if you guys do this. Whenever I travel, I'm like, are we OCHEM here or are we Orgo? Because I, I want to make sure I speak the lingo of the, the, the town, the locals. Um, Scott, failing, let, let's say it's a, one of those prereqs, failing the same class more than once. What's, what's that story tell? Yeah, it's not a good sign. Uh, this is uh, super problematic. Uh, even if it's not a, you know, it, 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 my assumption is, uh, Barkley, and you asking this question, that it's probably a science class, may well be a prerequisite. Uh, not a good sign. The key here, however, it doesn't mean all is lost, but it does mean that you, some hefty, hefty, hefty reflection on your part to understand what is going on here. You know, why am I fit? Why am I not being successful in this class? Uh, I, I think you put to the side um, how do medical schools view this? What you need to be asking yourself is why is this happening? And what do I do to get over the, the roadblock that this class has, has become to represent for me and, and move, move beyond it? Uh, that, that's, the, that's the most important question here. How medical schools view it is 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 a later question. It's an important question, but uh, I think the the key here is to really reflect on why you know what is going on and to get some assistance uh, in in terms of the material uh, or you know maybe you need to study 
uh, skills uh, assessment to see, you know, what you're doing and study skills, um, et cetera. So, you know, my encouragement is to really look deeply at, at what's going on here. All right. Hyatt asks, going to community college for two years, then transferring to university. But I want to apply after my junior year with around a 3.5. Should I? This is an impossible question to answer. <laughs> um, go sign up for Mapped Pro and uh, have all of your data in Mapped, and we can take a look at it. The advisors there is uh, are us, and we can take a look at it and give you some more detailed guidance. But there's there's not enough information there to to really help you, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sierra asks, what are some leadership opportunities to look for in a remote student, not near home university campus? Into. Okay. Remote student, not near home. Thoughts? <laughs> is, is there anything like... I'm like thinking, I'm like, does the location matter or just like, what are some leadership opportunities to look for? Period. Yeah, I, I think that this, you know, my, my feeling here is that, Sierra, you're thinking about uh, leadership in terms of being the president of the such and such club at school or the secretary of the such and yep. such club at school. You know, that you're, you're thinking about leadership in terms of school Yep. Uh, extracurricular activities. Leadership can be a lot of different things. It can be in your work experience. You know, if you were, if you're a cashier at Target and you become the lead cashier uh, that has to take leadership over certain things, that's leadership. Uh, so it could be in work, work context. It could be in a volunteer context where you take on a responsibility uh, at something at a volunteer experience. Uh, where you're the chair of a committee that is looking at something or whatever. Uh, so I think don't don't fixate on the school part. Fixate on uh, what gl- globally, what's available in my area, wherever you live, uh, and, and what can I get involved in at a level that will allow me to get some leadership experience. Yeah, that's it. Okay, Lee asks, I will be attending my college's annual med school application workshop this weekend. Awesome. Held for those applying next cycle. What questions do you wish pre-meds would ask instead of the obvious ones? Oh, I like this question. Hmm. Courtney, what should pre-meds be asking about the medical school application process or personal statements, pieces? What, what, what do they need to be asking? Hmm, I don't, I guess I thought about this question differently, not in terms of the application, but about the school. So let me reframe my brain really quickly. As far as the med school application, questions. I guess if they're willing to give you information on kind of the flow of the application, um, if it's pre-screened or not, if um, who does the screening, if it's 
internally, if the faculty do the screening, if it's a committee, um, do they screen prior to an interview invite? Um, things like that. Some of that may be available online, but it will give you, I guess, asking that depth of questions will give you a bit of insight into um, how close of a look they're going to take um, at your application, either prior to an interview invite or um, if it's going to happen kind of post interview invite, if they go a bit more on metrics at the beginning. Yeah. And then outside of the application, um, asking about, um, if they can give you an example of like a weekly schedule for a student, just a day in the life. I think that that will kind of give you context of, of what it, looks like to attend there in, in any given didactic, which is helpful um, and shows, you know, see if that works for how you function, if it allows you enough time to um, kind of work around and take care of your mental and physical health as well. So I think that's helpful to know. Yeah. Scott, anything to add? Um, yeah, I kind of interpreted the question a little bit differently than than uh, than Courtney did. Um, so I I would say if if you're if you're talking more about what you're going to ask your pre med advisor in terms of their workshop for how do you do this application thing, mm -hmm. then I would say you know you want to find out all about what what their do they have a committee letter do they you know what are the deadlines i mean all those are pretty obvious questions to, to ask so i don't really know yeah you know the, the obvious questions are are usually the important ones and so um so i don't know what i would ask other than than the obvious ones frankly yeah the, the big thing that comes to mind for me is not necessarily a question to ask but kind of uh watching as as the day evolves and is it, uh, are they trying to force every student into kind of templated answers to everything, templated responses, mm. kind of picking from a thesaurus of words, these types of things? Or are they letting you kind of evaluate your journey and figure out how to tell your story and, and, and trying to figure that out and, and see from your point of view, if you're comfortable with how they're telling you, to create create or craft your your application mm -hmm. hi it again we're coming from a family with no previous education having to quote fight for the right to party oh wait no that's a different song uh to an education and my passion for medicine be considered disadvantaged Courtney, if you saw this, uh, I, I know Acomis didn't have a disadvantaged essay, but potentially for a secondary response of like anything else, if a student would consider themselves disadvantaged based on being a first generation, basically student. Yeah, sure. I think it's, it's open to interpretation. We leave it somewhat vague because we want to know if you've come across any barriers and if you want to talk about that and, um, <laughs> And in any ways that you you feel like you've been at a disadvantage. So, yeah, I think that this would count if if the applicant feels like it counts. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say I have an example of a, a student this year that I'm I'm uh, working with who gr- grew up in a very conservative, religiously conservative family where where women did not do things like this. Yep. And she really had to fight, as you're saying there, fight for the right to to go to an ed- and and do this and it. And it, it, it caused some problems in her family, but, you know, I think the family's okay with it now, but it, it was a struggle for her. And so I definitely think that's something that, you know, she talked about in her application and is very meaningful. And, and it, I would see it as, as uh, a disadvantage, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It, that came up, uh, I think on Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it was the same student you're working with, mm-hmm. but that, that question came up of like, can I mark myself disadvantaged? I want to be a physician in my family, in my culture, my religion. Like women don't pursue higher education. We are meant to stay home, all all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, like I I want to pursue medicine. I I want to go to undergrad. I want to go to medical school. I want to do all this stuff. And she was kicked out of her house and was homeless for a little bit and was let back in. And, and the, the question more specifically was around, I come from a family of, uh, of means, like my, my family's well off, but this was my internal struggle going through this, having a family that didn't support me through this, being homeless for a little bit, uh, but still here and still fighting. And a lot of people on Reddit, of course, these are pre-meds. You have to, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, a, a lot of these students on Reddit were like, no, that's not disadvantaged. You, your family has money. How, how can you mark yourselves as disadvantaged? And I came in there going, heck yeah, that's a disadvantage. Like that, that gives a lot of context to the journey that you're on. And, and I think that's a good way of thinking about disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just how big is your bank account which is unfortunately how most people think of it or a lot of people think of it. Mm-hmm. Jessica asks, planning to apply to start 2026, graduated with a BS with a 305 GPA in 2013, a master of science with a 37 in 2020. Great trend there. Will this be enough for medical schools? Hoping this shows I can handle upper, upper level coursework. Um, so Courtney, this is again, one of those situations where it's kind of hard to answer the question with just this limited data because we don't make decisions or you didn't make decisions. I'm assuming just based on numbers alone. And we have a little bit of a situation here where you were talking earlier about these gap years and gaps in education. If Jessica's starting med school in 2026, she graduated with her master's in 2020, 2020, that's a huge gap in education and obviously what else is she doing and all that fun stuff. What, what are your thoughts here? Just superficially. No, I think you nailed it. Um, that's what I honed in on uh, immediately is saying that you finished your master's in 2020, um, but you're applying to start in 2026. That's already six years from your master's, which probably wasn't foundational science coursework. It may have been, um, you know, just kind of additives. And so depending on the program that you were in. So uh, I think I would look at the MCAT for reference, because I know that that would be taken within, you know, usually the last three years um, as as a way to kind of 
give me some point of reference on how much of that science coursework has been retained and can be pulled in um tested in a form, you know, in a formal setting. It it gets tough when you start getting this many years out, I would say. Um, because if, if you're super transparent and you're self-aware and you say, okay, well, what are they, what are the potential red flags or what would be seen as a risk um, if they're comparing me to somebody fresh out of school with similar stats um, and, and focus on, I would say, the positives or addressing those things um, in the meantime, since you have some time before you apply again. Yeah. And go check out Mapped. Put in all of your information and use our advisors to help guide you right there in Mapped. All right. KS, is it taboo, a taboo, to mention about the death of my mom in the essay as it really affected me and made me want to be a doc even more? I don't want to seem like I'm playing on committee's emotions to get me accepted. It's your story. It's your story. You got to tell your story. It's uh, definitely not taboo. It's not cliche because it's your story. It's just common. It's common for students to write about uh, illness, injury, death, unfortunately, of loved ones, injury, illness of themselves as reasons, as the impetus for them to go explore healthcare. It's it's common. So it's okay. Kyle asks, how far out are interview dates from when you receive an invite? My job schedule's out eight weeks at a time. Well, this has changed with COVID, right? With virtual interviews, <laughs> it literally could be tomorrow. Um, they, they go, hey, we have an opening. Do you want an interview spot? So it, it's going to depend on the school. But yeah, it's, you're going to have to be super open and transparent with your, with your job. Potentially, if you can, uh, I hid it from my job when I was applying. And then, and I don't know if you guys know the story. I like, I, I don't tell my boss um, uh, applying to medical school that I, that I'm going for an interview when I have an interview. And then when I got in, I went and told her, I'm like, Hey, Bonnie, I just want to let you know, uh, I got into med school. I'm going whenever it was uh, when I got my, my invitation. She goes, I didn't know you were applying to med school. I wish you would have told me my dad's on faculty and is a pulmonologist at Wash U. And I'm like, darn it. <laughs> I, I could have had some ins at Wash U. Uh, but then I wouldn't have met my wife and all that fun stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's always one of those things I tell students now, like use your network, let people know. And those who want to help you will help you and can help you. Uh, but jobs are weird because they, they may go, oh, you're going to leave us? You're fired now. So you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Annie, how do medical schools use someone who was concurrently enrolled in a master's program and another college to finish science prereqs since the master's class did not include those pre-med requirements? It's not uncommon, right? Hmm. Just taking classes just happens to be at two different levels of education. Mm -hmm. Depends on how you did in those yeah. classes. <laughs> if you performed well, it's a non-issue. Yeah, but you can't use it as an excuse to go, well, I did poorly because I was yeah. taking right. the boat. Right. right. Definitely. That's right. 
Billy Bobby is my care coordination volunteering where I go into patient rooms throughout the hospital and talk about Medicare benefits considered clinical. Mm. Mm. Scott, what do you think? Um, I would say no, um, only because you're not participating in the in in healthcare with them. It's it sounds more administrative to me. Yeah. If they were talking about their car's extended warranty, would that be clinical? No. <laughs> And by the way, we've been trying to reach you about that. <laughs> I'm glad you're in the hospital. We've been trying to reach you. <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy Bobby, I, I kind of side with Scott here. Um, probably more admin than than clinical. Courtney, do you have a, a horse in this race? Yeah, I, I would probably agree with you guys. I mean, there, there may be some schools that are a little bit um, more open to considering this since you're speaking with patients directly, but I, I wouldn't bank on it. I would err on the side of this not being counted. What else do you have making sure that you at least have some, some other yeah. um, for sure clinicals. Um, and then if this ends up going one way or the other, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. And, and I think they're depending on very specific context of what's going on. It, it could be, right? If this student is going in there going, okay, I see you have diabetes. How's your diabetes being controlled? Okay, great. Based on that information, here are some things with Medicare that we need to think about. Okay, what other health conditions? Like if you're talking about their health mm-hmm. and discussing diagnoses and treatments and all that fun stuff, then potentially more clinical mm-hmm. than just here's a pamphlet of all of the information that you need to know and the benefits that you are able to get with Medicare. That's a a completely different answer. And why Mm. it's so hard answering these questions. Is it clinical? It's, it's hard to answer them with just superficial kind of um, title here and, and very superficial discussing Medicare benefits, right? Cause Mm. it could go super in depth in which Mm. case we may go, Oh yeah, that sounds clinical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you're an admin assistant at a front desk in a medical setting, you're answering a lot of these questions, but it is administrative, even if they're the physician's patients. Because of the nature of the discussion, it's not clinical based. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's an iffy one. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Macarena? Macarena. Uh, Is there a minimum on activities? For example, three are clinical, such as CNA, MA, volunteer opportunities, and two are personal. Scott, uh, five things that I've been doing in my life outside of school. Mm -hmm. Seems low. What do you think? Well, well, I I mean, to me, I think that... Again, I don't think there's enough information here to really tell us, you know, the, a, a full picture of what's going on. Um, I, I think that it could, this could work if if the clinical experiences were were in depth and and over a long period of time, and uh, you know, were really uh, you were consistently doing these things. And and again, I think that. I, I, I think this is all about reflection and I hate to keep sort of bringing up the same thing over and over again, but 
you know, I, I would much rather see somebody who has a lot of ex, a, a longer experience and in-depth experience as an MA and and has really gotten it, really gets it and 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 can as you said earlier, Ryan, can talk about the so what, you know, mm-hmm. okay, you were an MA for a year and a half and and did a thousand hours. So what, you know, tell me why this is important. What, what, what is this all about uh, to you? What, what's the meaning of this in your life? And what did you learn about yourself? And what did you learn about medicine going through uh, that experience as an MA, as opposed to someone who has, umpteen thousand experiences and can't iterate anything that they learned out of it. I mean, you know, I I think it's all about the depth here. And, and uh, that's in my view, that's the qualitative difference between a great applicant and a good applicant is somebody who is really able to articulate um, what it meant. Yeah. Agree. And I think, there's probably other things you're doing that you're not thinking about putting on. And, and so make sure you're, you're actually doing a good inventory of what you're spending your time on to go. Why am I not putting this on my application? Also just a plug for a If you're going the DO route, they allow you to enter a lot more experiences. And so um, you can include, you don't have the same kind of limitations. Yep. Yeah, so just nuts and bolts for everyone. Sorry, Veronica. Um, uh, AMCAS limits everyone to 15 activities. ACOMIS and TMDSAS have no limit on activities. Right. So something to think about. All right. Uh, whatever that name is. My goal is neurosurgery. <laughs> oh, Courtney. So Dio is kind of out of the question. Says who? Uh, and I need to secure an empty um, admission. Okay, great statement. Thank you. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that non question. Courtney, do you want to dispel that myth right off the bat? That ruffled my feathers. <laughs> it ruffles my feathers. Like, that's just it's wrong. But. I have so many of my DO students that matched into such competitive specialties that it's i'm i'm just shocked that this narrative is still going on mm-hmm. um and it's so prevalent it's just untrue i would say if you look at residencies and so there's actually been articles um that have come out within the past two three weeks actually advocating um for for increased transparency and no discrimination against GOs even, even more so. Um, the only one, and I've looked it up, I've done the research that may be a bit difficult still would be uh, plastics. They don't seem to accept as many DOs as MDs, but other than that, it's on you. And it, yeah. you can go anywhere in the U.S., and what you're involved in, the volunteer hours, if you do research, how you are on your rotations, what kind of letters you get, what kind of dean's letter you get. So it's really more on your performance as a medical student and how you make yourself stand out and how you perform. Um, It's it's just not true. And I will get on my soapbox (laughs) and just... (laughs) I'll I can send bats. I can send match results. It's just yeah. not true. 
It's just not yeah, true. And, and again, this is where interpretation of data is important. Looking at match results and going, oh, plastics, for instance, doesn't match nearly as many DOs as other residencies. We can't make the conclusion that, oh, plastic surgeons, uh, at least the, the program directors, don't like osteopathic students. We can't, we can't draw that conclusion. We can make some guesses and go, maybe it's because there just wasn't a good cohort of DOs applying that cycle. Or the DOs who were applying maybe were uh, arrogant and thought, I'm a DO, you should take me. Don't you know we're just as good? And, and you can come off super arrogant. And, and that doesn't look good either. Like There, there are reasons for these uh, shortcomings, we don't know exactly unless we go to the program directors. And unfortunately, they're probably not going to be super open about it and go, do you have a negative bias towards osteopathic students? The majority will probably say no. Uh, and, and that's okay. And maybe that's true. There have been some, and I've asked questions in, in my specialty stories podcast series. Um, there was only one program director it was a program director at Northwestern that was like, yeah, we don't, we don't look at DO students. We, we don't need to, we have plenty of MD students and this was pre-merger. So um, that, that was a, a different, uh, different can of worms. And that's one program director at one program in one part of the country that, that is not all programs and, and all residencies. You can't speak to that. Yeah. You know? well, and, then- and Courtney, j- just quickly to your point, there was, um, there has been some potential legislation being pushed to not discriminate against DOs. I don't know if you saw the AOA came out and SOMA came out and said, we are not in favor of this. And I'm like, I agree. Like, Keep, keep the politicians out of this world, which is why, I don't know, Courtney, if you, if you know a little of the backstory of why the merger happened in the first place was the government's like, why are we overseeing two residency programs and, and bodies and they're like, we're going to take over. And the, the, the two, the ACGME and the the whoever AOA, whatever, were like, mm-hmm. uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna get married. You don't need to hang out with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if if money wasn't involved in in the application process, there would probably or a standardized testing process. There may be more mergers, but yeah. um, you know, there's. There's business sides of it, um, but on the back end, we can see as a medical school, um, we can see who they accepted in prior years, where they came from. If they do have a preference, they could put, you know, if they wanted to see USMLE, all of that has been taken down, I would say in the past like three, four years. And, and DO schools are just kind of starting to pick up steam and produce graduates and and open. And so it's just, it's definitely changing. Um, And, and it's just not true that you can't match into the specialties. I mean, my students, they, they matched so well. Um, And it's just, this will get me fired up faster than anything yeah. because give yourself an opportunity to attend school in a place where, where you can thrive, whether it's MD or DO, you're coming out with the same rights. You're going to have the same opportunity. It really is on you. 
Yeah, and I was going to make a comment too, and I, 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 because I had a student not too long ago who said, "Well, I was looking at lists of uh, of, of uh, residency placements, and there was a lot more MD students on this on this list than there were DO students." And it, it seems to me like <clears throat> that part of that is there's a lot more MD schools than there are DO schools. So what you're looking for is proportionality in addition to, you know, you don't look at the raw numbers. Exactly. The, the number of MD graduates is three times as many as DO graduates. And so you can't expect that there's going to be half and half or whatever in, in every residency program that that's just not proportional to the number of graduates that you're seeing. And so, so, you know, I think there is some interpretation necessary here, and I think you really do have to kind of really look at what, what's going on here and, and listen to voices like Courtney and Ryan and, and, and myself and, and really evaluate it in, in some real ways and not just make assumptions. Yeah. <sighs> I apologize, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Max asks, are there any great resources for international students applying in the U.S. on an F-1 visa and wanting to apply to a medical school? Advice for finding clinical experience with an F-1 visa. It's very, very hard. Um, we suggest going and checking out our friends over at F-1 Doctors. Uh, they're an organization that specifically helps for free um, international students applying to medical school here in the U S but yeah, when you're on a visa, you're, you're very typically very limited in terms of what you can do off campus, um, because of that visa, mm -hmm. but you can usually still volunteer. It's just jobs that are, mm -hmm. that are harder. Nikki asks, I'm having issues finding where to speak to an advisor on Mapped. I do have the paid subscription. Could you show how to get there? I would love to. Thank you for allowing me to show you a little bit of Mapped. <laughs> Let me uh, just, I got to adjust my, my setup here. One second. Present screen Chrome tab Mapped. All right. So as we uh, show Mapped here, I will log into my student demo account, demo account right there. And uh, you will see here that in this demo account, here's my dashboard. I have all of my GPA information on here, all of my clinical experience. I can see breakdowns of the prereqs that I've done and the schools that I have on my school list in the map. And then under advising, is where you can either add your own advisor uh, right here. You can add your own advisor, and you can see here it's school advisor, Marty, my school advisor, <laughs> random people. And then this top one will always be the mapped advisors. And if you do not have a pro-level account or if you are out of your trial or you're in your trial, out of your trial, um, it'll it'll ask you to sign up for the pro level account to have access to this. And here's where you can communicate with with us directly in Mapped. So that is where you find the Mapped advising. Got it. Good. Get it. Got it. Good. All right. Oops. 
All right. Do you think interviews will remain virtual next cycle? I may be abroad next year on a Fulbright or similar award. I was wondering if I could apply from abroad to save a year. So, Kush, probably still too early to know. Uh, a lot of schools, I think the majority here are still doing virtual this year. Mm-hmm. My hope is that they continue to do virtual because it it democratizes a lot of this process and makes it a lot more um, equitable for everyone. And my guess is if you applied and they weren't doing virtual and you're like, hey, I'm a really smart person on this scholarship abroad, uh, they would probably do a virtual for you. Now that they know that virtuals work, um, they've historically made exceptions in the past here and there mm-hmm. for like military sure. members, stuff like yep. that. Yep. So make it work. Go have fun. Yeah. Steven asks, when should I send a letter of intent to a Texas school interviewed in September? And it's my top choice. Any templates or guides also? Scott, letters of intent for Texas. I think with the pre-match process and the match process, my guess is letters of intent maybe have a little bit less weight potentially in Texas. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I, I I don't know that that's true. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I, I think that um, uh, the process in Texas really doesn't change the 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 uh, the dynamic of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that w- what I would say is. You know, my, my initial reaction is uh, if you interviewed at your top choice school, um, then uh, then, you know, sending a letter of intent that says you're my top choice school. You know, I, I, I will come if you make me an offer. I'm you know totally down. Now, if you're sending this to every school, then you're lying, basically. So, uh, you know, there's an ethical, you know, uh, element to that. But if, if you're just going to send this to the one school and say, you're my top school, I interviewed in September, love it, can't imagine going anywhere else, blah, 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 th- th- then that, I, that, that would be fine. Uh, I would say that there, there really aren't any templates or guides. The, the key here is short, succinct, get to the point and let that be it. You don't want to go on and on. I, you know, you don't want to say why necessarily. Um, you know, if you want to say why, then just say, you know, bullet point. I like this. I like this. I like this. And, you know, it's got if you have to scroll, not good. So, you know, just get on it, get off of it and let it let that be it. <laughs> no foreplay with this one. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> OK. All right. Luckily, we're an adult uh, audience here. <laughs> Uh, Sheeta asks, what are your suggestions for MCAT retakes? Apparently, I'm not a good test taker. I took it twice now, and each time I can't see any improvement. I wish Rachel were here to talk about kind of what to work through. But the question, Sheeta, is why aren't you seeing improvement? And what are you doing in between those retakes? Reach out to our good friends at Blueprint MCAT and, and maybe talk to a tutor over there for an hour. And see what's going on. Because if you're not getting any improvement, then my assumption is your the, the tactics that you're taking to study just aren't right. And so we need to fix that. But but Courtney, let's say she needs to take it four times and she finally gets that 510 or 512 or whatever she's shooting for. Is that an issue? Taking it four times? Depends on the school, yeah. if we're being honest. 
Um, some will look at your first time MCAT take and, um, and see kind of where you ended up and, and if it's a big enough jump for them. And, and the reason that they do this is, you know, again, it's a data point to use on um, how you sit for standardized tests since you can take the boards hopefully once um, and do well there. But it's not the end all be all. Um, I've seen people, I've matriculated people that have had four MCAT takes, but going forward at this point, um, I, I think Ryan is right or Dr. Gray is right that, that you may need to get some more guidance and kind of shift gears, whether it's becoming more familiar with the verbiage or the timing. If it's not a content issue, if you've taken all the courses and you, you feel like you understand the content, it's just not reflecting in your scores, um, then it's, it's likely, you know, going to need some strategy and familiarity and, and just repeated uh, practice full length timed tests um, to kind of simulate that. But it could be any number of things. But, but yeah, I mean, the more times you take it, I would say the more it weighs um, and, and the more question it, it puts into our mind on on how many times you would need to because essentially you're going to be taking tests for the rest of your life as a physician yep. <laughs> so <laughs> during school and post school um and and most are in a standardized format so yeah. I don't, I don't think students really truly understand how many tests you take as a physician both in medical school and out of mm -hmm. medical school for the rest yeah. of your life yeah, you're testing during residency, you're testing post school and getting, you know, ongoing credit hours and things like that. It's you need to be a lifelong learner um, That's right. and, and you're going to be tested every couple of years, yeah. essentially for the rest of your life as yeah. a physician. So, and, and even in medical school, some of the courses that you're going to be taking, they're going to use shelf exams that are yep. essentially standardized exams. And so mm -hmm. they're not, you know, it, it's not even just USMLE or, or, or the equivalent, the DO equivalent. It's going to, it's going to be, you know, even, even in med school uh, courses, you know, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The Llama Squads? The, okay. the Llama Squads. <laughs> oh, oh, the Llama Squads. <laughs> the Llama Squads. I'm, I'm thinking of like the, the thalassemia. I'm like, the Llama Squad? Uh, have my first MD interview coming up. Should I expect something different than my DO interview? <laughs> uh, There's no way to answer this. Yeah. I mean, if your DO interview was a traditional interview and your MD interview is an MMI, then yeah, expect something different. Uh, They're probably but, not going to ask you why you're interested in osteopathic <laughs> medicine. I was going to, I was going to say that you stole my joke. <laughs> uh, yes, maybe, maybe they will. Why MD over DO? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they might. Yeah, maybe. good point. But it's yeah. I, for the most part, I think the format is probably. Pretty similar because we're looking for behavioral skills, soft mm -hmm. skills, yeah. critical thinking, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, professionalism. Yeah. When when we as a as a company are doing mock interviews with students, we don't typically will say like, mm -hmm. "Are you are you 
interviewing MD or DO so that I know how to frame my questions other than maybe I should ask why DO mm-hmm. potentially for, for mm-hmm. DO interviews. Yep. We're looking much more at the structure of the individual school's interview. Is it open file, closed file? Is it traditional? Is it MMI? Is it structured or non-structured? You know, anything that you know about the structure of how they're going to interview is going to be helpful in, in sort of understanding what you're going to be facing and, and how, how that might go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, as it always does, these uh, hours fly by. Uh, we have come to an end. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out, watching, asking great questions. Except that one student. You can go to a DO school. <laughs> Although that wasn't a question. That statement, you can go to a DO school and match in whatever you want. He clarified. He clarified. I know, but even even his clarification was like, hey, look, eight DOs matched into neurosurgery, so why not you? All right. Yeah. We, we could uh, spend a whole hour. We, yeah. we could, and maybe we should um, uh, at a later time yeah. on the Pre-Med Years podcast, yeah. maybe. Yeah. We'll yeah. do a good deep dive. Dr. Scott Wright, Courtney Lewis, thank you so much for hanging out, sharing your wisdom with everyone today. Uh, if you are interested in learning more from our advising team, go over to MAPT, sign up for MAPT app. And as we kind of work on our branding here, MAPT will just be our software moving forward. And if you want to work one-on-one with our advisors, that will be over at Medical School HQ, where it historically has always been. We're moving it back there. So go check us out anywhere you want, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper. <laughs> This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out MAPT, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.